Welcome to In Strange Company. I'm your host, Marcus Strange. I believe we're a composite of the people with whom we surround ourselves. On this podcast, I sit down with some of the most interesting humans you could hope to meet and give you the opportunity to surround yourself with some amazing people. My guests and I share insights into creating authentic and purpose-filled lives. Thanks for stopping by. I appreciate the company. Hey everyone, welcome back to In Strange Company. I am so grateful that you're here today. My guest today is an incredible human and I'm super excited to be bringing this conversation to you all. Um, Jimmy is a hunter, a, I would say he's an entrepreneur and he is uh, organizing one of the fastest growing movements in the hunting space. And today we're gonna dive into uh, a discussion around diversity, equity, and inclusion in the hunting space. And particularly, we're going to talk about how um, the hunting space came to look the way it does visually. And I'm referring to the fact that most hunters look like myself, um, at least the ones that we see promoted. And uh, we're going to talk about how we can fix that, how we can diversify and strengthen the hunting community and the conservation space and all things uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in hunting. So, uh, Jimmy, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I definitely want to dive into your organization, Hunters of Color. I want to dive into the you know really crucial conversation about how do we make uh, hunting and the outdoor space a more welcoming and inclusive um, community. But I, I think it'd be really cool for people to know a little bit about you so that as we talk, they have some context of where you're coming from. So maybe you can give me like the five minute biography of Jimmy. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so I was born and raised in Sonoma Valley, California, uh, which is just west of Napa Valley, wine country, um, and a little bit north of San Francisco. Um and kind of grew up in a household where um, guns were readily available. Uh, I started shooting in my 22 when I was four years old. Uh, my dad's ex-military, and so he was really big on gun safety. Um, my grandparents, so I never met my dad's father, uh, but he apparently was a really big outdoorsman. Um, so much so that he kind of pushed my dad away from it and my dad kind of steered towards uh sports instead and then my mom's dad he always encouraged me to get out uh, but he at a certain point he got into a couple car wrecks and and couldn't take me out um and it wasn't until i was eight years old that i got into hunting and at that time we were i was actually invited out by my best friend at the times dad who we had gone camping with and shot with and he was also um i think he was ex-military uh, but he was a really big hunter and he thought that it would be a really good experience for me and my dad to get out into the, the duck blind for the first time and the the first time i saw those the cupped wings of ducks setting in and the dog shivering and i was shivering uh, i was hooked so that's where my hunting career kind of started. Um, and then I 
Uh, I mean, I was really big into sports when I was growing up. It's kind of, there's only like three things to do in Sonoma. You either uh, play sports, hunt and fish all the time, or um, I don't know what you do if you don't do those two things. But uh, I kind of leaned towards sports. And then when sports disappeared, uh, I kind of had a um, identity crisis, let's call it. And I reverted back to my hunting roots and I kind of found uh, peace and I found purpose. And uh, through that, I started to volunteer for Ducks Unlimited. Um, and here I am today. Um, yeah, that's kind of a, a brief summary. Uh, I ended up in Oregon because I came to school for my mechanical engineering degree. Um, I'm a practicing manufacturing engineer full-time and then I do this on the side um yeah nice I like it and sorry I did not share your last name with folks it's flat correct yeah two t's like a flat tire cool right on um I just as you were talking I was like wait a second I don't think we actually said your full name <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so you said something that I want to circle back to you said that you found a lot of peace um through your time in the outdoors can you dive into that a little bit? You know, what, what was it about the outdoors that helped you find that sense of belonging, that sense of peace? Well, so I guess it started off, well, my dad was, a was always big into fishing, um, not so much hunting growing up. And so whenever we'd go camping, we'd always bring the fishing rods with us. And, uh, <laughs> I would get in trouble because I'd come back with like 10 too many fish and, my dad would have to explain to me that I had to give back or like not catch so many fish. And as a young kid, you don't understand that. Um, but uh, when I started playing sports, I think the reason I, I was a pitcher in high school and, uh, and there's this, this feeling that I, I can't really explain it, but when you're on the mound and you're locked in, you're so hyper-focused, the world kind of like ceases to exist and you're out of your mind for just a few a few moments and i could never recreate that that feeling until i picked up hunting again or got serious into hunting again and kind of got back into that mindset where i was so hyper focused on on hunting and achieving my goal of of bringing um bringing some food home for the family that uh, I mean that it, it it was it replaced the feeling that baseball gave me when I was kind of soul searching, and um, and that's kind of what made me like really dive into hunting and I started challenging myself and by getting into archery, and I think archery even pushes it further into that where you're just you need to be so on your game to be successful. And it it kind of it was a, a release and a, a peaceful place to be. Yeah, man, I can totally relate to that. Um, I played a lot of sports growing up and, you know, played a little bit in college. And then when that all kind of went away, it was like, man, you know, I've, I've grown accustomed to having a purpose and in channeling my energy and, and my, uh, 
you know, like my free time into something and, and hunting really took up that place and really created that sense of purpose and peace. And it's, it's interesting. It doesn't necessarily have to be hunting, but it is interesting that when people start to pursue outdoor adventures, how it really fills something either that, you know, they lost or that they didn't know they were missing. And I love, that's why I asked you that question. I love hearing from other people how it did that for them because it did it for me. Yeah, I, I didn't quite know that hunting was going to fill that void until I really took it up. Uh, a funny story that I have about that is on my my 18th birthday, uh, I was, I'd been asking for an AR-15 and being from California, there's, there's a huge stigma against AR-15s. And so my mom, my mom didn't want it one bit. My dad was okay with it, but, uh, on my 18th birthday, they, they told me to put a blindfold on and they started driving me around random roads. So I couldn't really track where we were going. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, in my head I was thinking, oh, they're going to get me an AR. This is going to be so cool. And when I took the blindfold off, we were at uh, a Dick's Sporting Goods and they said, well, you can pick out a bow and your budget's like $300 or something like that. And uh, so I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like I get to get a bow and I've always liked archery. I used to shoot like a traditional bow when I was a little kid. And uh, then I decided to get a compound bow and then that started that whole learning curve. And I in California, we have a, a turkey season that allows us, or at least in the spring, that allows us to get three turkey uh, in the spring. And the the following or the years leading up to that, I think I had gotten my first or my three turkey within like a week um, using a shotgun. And so I decided I was going to challenge myself and try to get my first turkey with a bow. And so I sighted the bow in, I threw some broadheads on ran out to my hunting spot and I let an arrow loose and it went sailing. I was like, Oh, it's kind of weird. Then I put another arrow in as I'm chasing these turkey around and I, I let another arrow loose and that one went sailing. And then I had my last broadhead arrow in my, in my quiver on the string and I kind of took a lob shot at like 25 yards and uh, that one went sailing too. So I was like, okay, there's something more to this than, and they're telling me at Dick's Sporting Goods. And so <laughs> I kind of dove into it from there and kind of self-taught archery or yeah, self-taught archery nut now. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where it all began or like it, the fuel kind of, or the, the flame kind of started. Well, and people need to go, we're going to dive into hunters of color here in a second. So I'll, I'll kind of spoil the, the prize there, but people need to go check out your turkey tikka masala recipe that you shared. People will know that you are a legit turkey slayer when they look at that because that looked amazing. Oh yeah, that that's by far my favorite dish to make with uh, wild turkey. And then if I don't have wild turkey in the freezer, then I'll throw just chicken in it, and it's yeah. delicious. Oh, it looked so good, man. Like I was like looking around in the house, being like, what? can I almost make this recipe? I was missing too many ingredients. It just wasn't going to work. Yeah. It's cheap too. I, I think I spent like $15 on not including the, the meat or the protein. Mm. It was like a $15 meal. So it, yeah. uh, it's definitely budget friendly as well. Cool. Hey, we're all about that. So 
let's dive into uh, the organization that you started, Hunters of Color. Are you guys a, a 501c3 yet? Not yet. So we're, we're registered with the state of Oregon um, and we're working on our IRS stuff right now. Um, so we're, we're waiting on that. And eventually that's where we see ourselves getting and also being registered with all 50 states, ideally. Um, but that's, that comes after the, the uh, 501c3. Or gotcha. Okay, cool. So you're working on getting that status. You've, in the meantime, you started this organization that for all intents and purposes is functioning like a nonprofit. What inspired you to start Hunters of Color? Let's lay the groundwork for our conversation. Man, um, it probably started in high school where when I started, well, I guess California is kind of a, California has a weird, uh, sentiment towards hunting at least in the town that i grew up in um all the old timers kind of kind of don't, don't hunt anymore and uh there's just just stories now of people who hunted uh, but when i was looking for hunting buddies because my my dad worked all the time and uh, my mom wasn't going to take me and my grandpa lives in south carolina um i had to find people to hunt with and so when i was looking i, I started asking all my my Hispanic buddies and they're like, Oh, we, we've never hunted before and something that we don't do. Um, and then finally I found some friends who did hunt and they were all white and didn't at that point, it didn't really mean much to me. And I was like, well, it's great that now I have, uh, some companions to, to go out with. Um, and then in college when I had to fill my, uh, spare time up with hunting, it was the same thing. It was none of my uh, friends of color would have had had any exposure to hunting. And so, again, I was the only person with uh, a darker complexion out with all my white friends in the woods. And I think that's when it started. To, I started to think about it. And I was uh, that it all culminated when uh, uh, an article came out from the meat eater and it's called uh, it's titled is hunting too white and in that article it really breaks down the statistics that were that were taken by a study from the, the national uh what is it the u.s uh wildlife or fish and wildlife service in 2016 and it basically laid it out that there's out of all 40 million uh or so 400 million people in the United States, uh, only 11.5 million hunt, 96% of them are white, 3% of them are Hispanic, 1% of them are other. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, there, that's why I was noticing it back in high school. And that's why I was noticing it in the last few years. And so then I started thinking, okay, well, how do we get more people involved in this? And then the, the article brings up the, the issue of uh, that hunter numbers and recruitment has been going down since the 70s. And because of that, tag prices have been going up. Um, just economics problem right there is when there's less people paying into it, you got to increase prices to, to get the same amount of money that, you, that you're getting. And that's a big alarm or is a big alarm for me because I don't want to see my tag prices go up 
And I also don't want to see these resources disappear because without the, the money, then we have no, or there's no protections that would be in place to make sure that um, the wild places that I enjoy to hunt are going to be passed on for generations to come. And so that motivated me to kind of push forward and start a nonprofit organization that would reach out to youth who at first it started off as a youth focused thing in my head um, to get people started off at a young age. Um, and then I started hearing all these stories of like, well, people didn't get into hunting until like their 30s or 40s, maybe even 50s. And then I said, okay, well, we, we can't just focus on one group of people. We need to, or one uh, age group, we need to focus on everybody. And so because of that, now we're, we're kind of, we're still in like the, the design phase of the company, but uh, the way we want to see it is we, we want to see like hunter safety courses be sponsored by our funding that we, we bring in. And uh, we want to get uh, people out shooting to be comfortable with, with firearms and uh, doing archery lessons and maybe some camping trips, um, hikes, and eventually we'll get people out hunting. And I think once you do hunt and you're successful and you kind of see uh, how fun it can be, I think that's when people will be hooked. Yeah, for sure. The best way to, you know, get anybody into any kind of outdoor recreation is exposure. And the barriers to entry for that are so high that if you can have organizations, particularly organizations where people can see themselves represented in that organization, um, that just improves the chance for those people to become advocates. And, and I like that you're not just solely focused on hunting. I, obviously, that's part of the mission, but just getting people involved in the outdoors is a really powerful way to change lives and a really powerful way to make sure that the things that we all appreciate don't get lost. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I, you were sharing something with me offline that I think would be interesting to dive into a little bit at this point. Um, you know, you talked about how you realized that um, you looked very different than the folks that you were hunting with. And then you did this research and found, you know, that 97% of hunters are white. Um, why do the numbers look that way? I mean, it's very interesting to me that we, you know, we were a country with, a, you know, a subsistence country back in the day. And you would think that, you know, people hunted so they would pass it on to their children. But why did we end up with such a skewed demographic of hunters? Well, so I think the, the first thing that we need to, to point out is that um, Native Americans don't show up on here and Native Hawaiians don't show up on, on this study. Um, okay. I think that's because Native Americans, um, they are sovereign in their nation or sovereign nations. Um, and they don't have to buy uh, federal hunting licenses. Um, and on Hawaii, Native Hawaiians don't have to do, it's the same thing for them. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so that portion of the, the, the demographics of the United States is kind of excluded from the study. Um, so let's, you have to take that into account. Um, and then, well, when you look at, 
from a historical standpoint, uh, you look at like the, the Western movement of people, um, the, the treaties that were broken and like, especially along the Oregon trail, I was actually listening to a podcast that kind of dove into this today. Um, but the, the Oregon trail was opened up for people to, to go West and to make it over to the West coast. Um, and when they found gold, then those treaties that they had with the Native Americans were broken. And eventually that led to the Trail of Tears where Native American people were pushed onto uh, reservations that were undesirable for people to live on. Uh, and so that whole hunting community, one, just got thrown out of their their native hunting grounds. And so that tradition wasn't passed on. Um, and then you look at um, you look at uh, the the slaves um, who or post um, uh, and what's the word I'm looking for uh, uh, emancipation yeah emancipation pre yeah, emancipation uh, you had a lot of uh, slave uh, uh, what are they um, hound runners and they were like the the guides for the the slave owners or like the the elites they were the go-to people for hunting they knew where all the game was they knew how to find them and then they would do all the the processing and and prepping of the the wild game um and during that period uh black people were only allowed to hunt certain species and then come emancipation these people again were just kicked off of their land or the land that they came to know where all the animals were. Um, they then were looking for jobs. So the vast majority of the black community sought, or sought jobs in, in cities. And so they left the, the rural type lifestyle for a more urban uh, setting. And, and then, so what that leads to is a, a generational loss of tradition. And so what I think happened and why it led to 96% of hunters being white is that the, the tradition was not passed on. It wasn't uh, something that your grandfather would do or your grandmother or your uncles or whatever would take you out and, and give you exposure to. And so I think that's where it kind of all started and it's kind of culminated into where there's only one black owned um, outdoor recreation shop. And I think it's in Houston, Texas. Mm. Um, um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. That's, I was kind of just going to say that it's, it's, um, it's hard to kind of pinpoint on one, one thing, but uh, if you look at from look at it from a historical standpoint, you got to take that into account. Yeah, um, I, and I don't want to speak for anybody here. I'm just relaying different things that I've read and that I've heard. But I've also heard. Um, I think this was a TED talk on uh, this topic of of why um, specifically African Americans don't hunt in the same numbers that white Americans do. Um, the, the person giving the presentation, they talked about 
that it was really a, a safety thing in his particular community, that there was an interest in it and, and a history of it, but that there was a real chance that if, you know, you and a buddy went off into the woods that you might not come home. And, and so that tradition was lost out of a need for safety. And when I heard that, man, that just broke my heart because I worry about a lot of things when I go out into the woods, but whether or not um, I have to defend myself and protect myself um, against another human coming after me, is not something that I worry about. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it's definitely something that, that lurks in the back of the minds of um, people of color when they get out and especially people that now we've, we've been talking to um, because of hunters of color, that, that definitely is a, a reoccurring theme that, that has come up. Yeah. And I just going to ask you a point blank when you hear someone say that this is not an issue, this is being overblown. What's your response to that? Like, what do you say to someone who says that this is not really something that's a legitimate concern? Uh, well, so I just direct them towards a video of a young black hunter who uh, not only like a month ago had permission to hunt his or a land that he had been working on and somebody was upset that he was hunting either the property that he once had permission to hunt or permission to hunt property that was next to the land that he hunts so potentially be shooting the, the bucks that he'd been scouting and this guy who was upset decided to uh play the race card and started playing very racial uh just uh, obscene music that that should never be played anywhere uh, and it's also starting to yell stuff at at the hunter who is who is just minding his own business within his rights and yeah it's definitely hunter harassment so the guy who was upset was was breaking the law um, but he decided to to pull the race card and I think that's where it really put my hair on edge and and made me all all pissed off because you should treat everybody the same regardless of what race they are and just because you're pissed off that somebody's hunting in a spot that you've been hunting for however long doesn't mean you treat them any differently and you especially don't treat them differently because of the color of their skin and this this only happened a month ago so uh it's it's still alive and well here in the united states and um that's something that we want to we want to combat and change the perspective of we want people to to see uh people of color out in the outdoors and and not immediately think that it's a weird thing um that is out of place we want them to be like or just just any other day just like seeing any other person out in the outdoors that's the the end goal um but some people have a long way to go I think as as a whole, our community is is very uh, receptive to change and welcoming, um, but there are a few out there who uh, hold on to some some bad uh, sentiments. Yeah, and I mean, this conversation comes, I mean, for better or for worse, at a really good time because I was just out hunting the other day and ran into 
another hunter and we got talking and just in out of the middle of nowhere this and i don't know what the context was or why he even thought this was something that would be uh relevant to share but he made some very racist comments and it just it was very eye-opening because i haven't had that happen before but in that moment it made me pause and i was it made me realize like oh okay like this this is a problem this is something that does happen it's not just something that happens um, in isolated incidences. It's something that that happens on a regular basis, and it happens in the most unexpected places. Places that you would think would be perfectly safe um, are not necessarily always safe. So I, I guess that's my own anecdotal story that this is um, something that we need to address. This is something we need to stamp out in our community, and we have a long way to go, but I think there's a real interest right now for all of us to make a change and do better, uh, which leads to my next question. Uh, you know, now that we've talked about the issue and, and kind of the history and where we're at, like, what can we do moving forward to fix this and move past it and repair the damage that's been done and, and create a better future? Well, I kind of want to say something about the, the last note that you said that yeah, a racist comment that you heard, and it, although shock or shocking to you, imagine how somebody that that is directly directed at would feel if they heard that, or um, for the instance of somebody hunting and filming themselves. For every person that's able to film themselves with something racist happening, there's I don't know countless accounts of it happening not on film. Um, so the way to combat that is we, we need our allies. We need people to, to educate these people who have these archaic ideas, um, who hold on to, to negative connotations of people based on off of the color of their skin. Um, and we need people to, to actually sit down and talk to these people and, and educate them. I think it starts in like, uh, a welcoming or a, an open environment. Um, you can't just approach somebody with a fire in your eyes and just want to yell at them, but you have to uh, definitely come at it from a, a point of, I mean, understanding that they, they hold on to some archaic beliefs um, and that they're probably going to have a hard time realigning their, their, uh, their viewpoints, but it all starts with a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And and I would add to that. Um, and, and thank you for pointing that out and making that distinction. And I think in, in terms of people like myself, allies, you called out that, you know, I, I was surprised. And, and that would be my advice to people is, Take the word of those who are living it and experiencing it. Because like you said, for me, it was a surprise because I haven't experienced it that much. So I, I don't understand and I'll never understand. Um, I got a like, a, like a millimeter of a glimpse at it for a split second there. But that's, you know, that's mostly just something that I'll, I'll use for context in the future and as a learning experience. So when your friends come to you or you hear people say that this is a problem and this is something that's happening, 
my advice would be that you trust them and you believe them and you support them and you be there for them, even though you may not have seen it and you may not understand it. Um, it's, it's not up for us to question other people's experiences, but to hold space for that and to allow them the room to feel safe with you and to trust you that you will be there for them when they need you. So that would, I guess, be my observation there. Yeah, I think we're we're lucky that we have hunting to to share together. Um, it's one of the the places where you can you can be human and tap into your ancestral instincts. And when it comes down to that, you're you're just that you're human. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah. So what? what can we do? You know, we, we talked a little bit, um, about, you know, being an ally, showing up, listening, hearing, uh, you talked about, um, taking those opportunities to have conversations and to educate people. Um, what else is there? I mean, there's so much we can do, but what are some other really tangible things that people who want to be allies, who want to step into this space and be, uh, supportive and, and helpful, uh, what can we do to fill that space? Well, so it, I think it starts off with recruitment. And uh, I mean, I think there's a big push to to get people into hunting and to uh, to bring those hunter numbers up so that we do have the funding. And so if you, I think if you are a hunter or you're a fisherman or you do anything outdoors, I think the first thing you can do is just lend a hand to uh, anybody who might seem interested in joining you uh, because of all, because of those experiences that they'll be more likely to want to get into hunting uh, if they don't go directly into it. Um, if you're a well-rounded outdoorsman, I think it kind of leads into hunting and it might not be for everybody. Uh, I know there's some people that I've, coaxed into going out with me and after a single hunt they're they're not sold uh, and they'd rather they'd rather hear the stories than make the stories on their own which is completely fine um, but because of that they they understand why I'm so passionate about it and I think the passion kind of shines through on especially in hunting and fishing and anything outdoors if you come at it from just like a, a really heartfelt standpoint and you just really want to show people uh your passion and the place that you find sacred i think they're gonna kind of lean in and and at least give it a try yeah absolutely um i couldn't agree more that genuine approach is the key it's the key to it all um so in terms of I mean, we've kind of been talking kind of generally, if people want to support hunters of color specifically, how can they get involved with you all? How can they step into that uh, space in, in helping with diversity and equity in uh, hunting? I mean, you guys have a lot of good things going on. What are some of the things that they can participate in? Um, so as of right now, so we're trying to get our uh, nonprofit status secured with uh, the IRS. Um, and at that point we'll be able to disperse our funding and, and also, uh, 
have kind of kickbacks for our mentors. Um, oh, and that kind of leads into mentors. <laughs> so if you are somebody who wants to help and has experience in the outdoors and has hunting experience and has opportunity to bring people out, what we, what we ask of you is to either send us a, an inquiry on our, our uh, website, uh, it's huntersofcolor.com, or you could send me a direct email. At, uh, it's uh, jimmy at huntersofcolor.com, uh, spelled J-I-M-M-Y. And uh, so when we get these names and we've been compiling a list of, of people across the country, which is it's incredible so far. There's a huge outcry of people who are willing to be mentors. Um, but for every one mentor that we've, we've had kind of come to us, there's, there's been one or two mentees that have reached out and saying, Hey, like I've really been trying to get into hunting, but I am in Texas and there's no public land here. Uh, so it's really hard to find places to hunt. Um, and I, I, I've never had to deal with that. I mean, I guess in Sonoma, it's all privately held property around the valley, but uh, I'm only a 25, 30 minute drive away from National Forest. And uh, so I, I do have access to a lot of a lot of property or a, little, a lot of ground to hunt. And for people who don't know where to go or have never started, it's a pretty daunting task to find new new spots and to find people to go with or um, find people to go with where they feel secure with. So our, our mission in finding the right mentors is we want people who are, are genuine, who are uh, somewhat experienced, who are in it for the right reasons. Um, and we, we will be vetting uh, kind of doing like an interview process for our mentors. And hopefully at the end of this, we have um, kind of chapters set up across every state. We have little events that will go on where you can do like a meet and greet. Um, and within the mentorship program, I think the way I see it going is it'll be completely on the mentor to kind of figure out how many people they want to bring out a year or um, how much time they want to invest. And, uh, and the mentees will set up with the mentors, uh, if they haven't had an opportunity to, uh, meet the person at like a, a meet and greet or, um, one of the events that we will try to be hosting and, and throwing like, a, it could be something as simple as a little barbecue, uh, with a couple raffles or, uh, stuff like that, or where people have the opportunity to to kind of just talk hunting and uh, just just hear stories and and kind of experience the outdoor community for what it is. So that's that's kind of where we see ourselves going. Um, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, it's kind of hard right now because I'm working full time, and, and Lydia <laughs> Lydia's a rock star, and she's been doing a lot of the work. Um, you can also email Lydia. Um, her email is Lydia at Hunters of Color. And uh, yeah, together we'll, we'll try to figure out how to get everybody out there. And um, eventually we'll see those those numbers change and we'll have uh, more people out in the outdoors and we'll, we'll see 
I mean, it's, I, I think we have a bright future, a really bright future. Absolutely. I mean, the, the sky's the limit for where you can take this. There's such a need. There's also never been more people who want to step in and help and be supportive. So um, I'm just making the call for anybody listening who wants to um, help Jimmy and Lydia and really take Hunters of Color to the next level. Uh, reach out. The contact information is in the show notes, and I'm going to link to all their uh, social and their website and everything else. And we're going to get you some people to come out and, and help support your mission. So um, I agree the the future is incredibly bright. Yeah, it's going to be an amazing experience. We uh, we actually did kind of a, a hush hush, not like not too hush, but we did a, uh, a quick pheasant hunt with a few people that we met and it was um, for three new hunters. It was their first experience with pheasants and I, I think everybody had a ball and I made the mistake of going straight into hunting when we should have done target practice before. Um, so two of the hunters weren't very comfortable with the shotgun, but um by the end of the day, after shooting clays, they were completely confident. And so, um, this Saturday again, we're gonna we're gonna meet up and try to get them some pheasant. Yeah, you know, it's uh, there's no uh, there's no checklist, right, for running a nonprofit and starting an organization. And you know, there's that's the the really fun part about it is you get to make those mistakes and learn from them and do better next time. Um, but I just I just want to you know, acknowledge you for stepping into the space, for showing up for people, for really blazing a trail that I hope will be a model for other people to do the same thing and, and really step out and make a difference. So uh, just mad props to you, man, for doing this and for, you know, really just owning this space. It's awesome. It's, it's going to make a huge difference for a ton of people. Yeah, there's the, when we set up, we actually released our, uh, what is it called? Our, uh, our storefront for all of our apparel that we, we designed. Um, <laughs> the, I think the first purchase was from Wisconsin. And then the next purchase was from Missouri. And then the next place was like New Jersey and then <laughs> California. <laughs> so we have people following us from across the the country and it's it's amazing i think i think eventually we'll have these chapters set up and with my experience with ducks unlimited i kind of i kind of like i kind of took ideas from them and uh kind of want to structure their fundraising style around around ducks unlimited um but i saw how a nonprofit kind of operates and uh, procures procures funds and the people that come together and so that's that's kind of where i'm i'm shooting for hopefully one day we'll be uh like a ducks unlimited but for hunter equality and and hunter inclusion and all the, all these different things that have been missed along the way for sure for sure i love it man this is so cool and you know we've barely touched the or scratched the surface on this discussion you know talking about 
equity and inclusion. Um, there's, I mean, we could, there's whole podcast that's dedicated to that. So um, I would encourage folks to go out, do your homework, learn on your own. Um, there's, there's a lot we could talk about, but I'm just really glad that we can, you know, let this, the spotlight shine on hunters of color for this hour. And, um, Jimmy, I just appreciate everything you're doing, man. And for you coming on, um, I really appreciate it before, um, we move on though, from talking about hunters of color, is there anything else you want to hit on, um, with hunters of color or DEI, um, you know, people are kind of familiar with the format of my podcast. So I, I want to make sure that we, that we give, uh, you know, due time to the most important part of this before we move on. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I think we covered a lot of it. I think, uh, I'm pretty grateful to be on here and to get the word out. Um, I think the hunting community is one of the best communities there, there is. Um, that was pretty evident when, uh, we, when we were able to hunt or, uh, it, it's evident it's, it's a great community and, um, I just can't wait to see where this goes. And this is, we're in like the first few months of the inception of, uh, this, this idea. And it's, it's as an engineer, I have a million ideas and <laughs> the first one to take off happens to do, or has nothing to do with engineering. So it, it's, it's amazing. That's the way it goes, man. I never thought I'd be doing a podcast, but here I am. Yeah. Uh, well, so you, uh, you cheated a little bit and you know that I like to ask random off the wall questions. So I had to figure out how I was going to throw a curveball at you. So, uh, I would love to hear your favorite hunting story. Oh man. I want, I want the Jimmy special. What's, what's the hunting story you, you share around the campfire? Man, I have so many. Uh, <laughs> That's good. I don't have that many. Ah, <laughs> uh, Lydia's yelling something in the background. What? <laughs> oh, that's a good story. So Real quick, we should tell folks who is Lydia. I mean, oh. <laughs> so Lydia is my partner. Yeah, I heard him. Are you still doing it? Sorry. Yeah, we can snip this out if you want. <laughs> but yeah, um, snip, snip it out. Sorry. Hi, Lydia. Um, I heard him. I heard him give my email. I was like, people don't even know I exist, Jimmy. You can't just throw me throw my email. Out <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I'm the one yelling in the background. Talk about systemic racism. Talk about systemic racism. <laughs> But, uh, anyways, yeah, G, go ahead. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll All right. We'll, we'll cut Sorry. back in. <laughs> uh, well, that's Lydia. Um, <laughs> this is not good, uh, by the way. This is all staying in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so Lydia is my partner, and uh, she was the one who really pushed me to, to get this thing moving. Um, I've been talking about it for a few years, and... We, we met in college and um, I think when the the BLM movement kind of picked up again, it got my wheels spinning and she was like, 
she's like, Jimmy, I think, I think now is a great time to, to do your part. And so I was like, you know what, let's do it. Let's just spend a couple hours after work every day and let's get this thing going. And she's kind of the, the motivation and the push that I needed to get this thing going. And she's also the one doing a lot of the groundwork um, right now. And she's, she's a rock star. So that's, that's Lydia in a nutshell. And I'm, I'm glad that we got to hear from Lydia and I'm glad that you gave her that really beautiful tribute just now, because I have become familiar with her through some of the social media that I've seen. And, um, you know, anytime you're doing something like this, you know, this kind of really groundbreaking, incredible undertaking, um, there's people behind the scenes doing work that, that don't get credit oftentimes. So I'm glad that we're able to give her some credit here tonight. Yeah, she should, she should have been the one on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) She, She actually, unfortunately is not a hunter. I've been trying to get her to go out and I think this year I'll be taking her on her first, um, her first turkey hunt. Nice. She, she doesn't have, she said she, she couldn't shoot a deer. Um, so she said a turkey will be her first start, like a good starting point for her. And so, um, I'm going to be taking her out and, um, hopefully we get her hooked. Yeah, absolutely. So sorry, circling back, we got a little sidetracked, but circling back to your, uh, your favorite hunting story, uh, did she spark, uh, one that you were going to share? Yeah. So she brought up one that I actually wasn't hunting, but I was, it was my first experience at mentoring. Um, and so my, I went to Oregon state university and, um, this is a a shout out to, uh, big G, um, Gregorio. I don't know even know how to say his last name. It's very, uh, not Russian, but, um, Big G's for short. Anyways, cool. he's, he's like seven foot tall. There's a massive human being, uh, basketball player. And at what's called Oktoberfest, I met him and he knows uh, Lydia's dad um, because Lydia's dad's the announcer for the Oregon State uh, basketball, football, and baseball teams. Cool. And so I met G and G was like, hey, do you hunt? You fish? And I was like, of course I do. And would you want to go one time? And he, he was like, yeah, please take me. I really want to go turkey hunting. And so, um, he grew up in Montenegro and they have incredible fishing there. They, they do a lot of, uh, pig hunting and he was missing out on hunting when he was a student here. And so turkey season rolls around last year and it's a senior year. And I finally had a spot where I could take him and I had an opportunity and throughout all my studies and everything. And, and I get big G out there and we have, we're in a, a turkey blind and it's a little pop-up blind. We have a seven foot something big man in a, in a turkey blind. And I'm not small either. I'm six two, 200 pounds. And so we have two large men in a turkey blind G's like heads basically sticking out the blind and 
<laughs> I'm just in the, sitting in the background trying to call in a turkey. And after about an hour, G's like, you know what? Let's just get out of here and let's go go try to like chase him down. So like, you know what? Your instincts are telling you to do that. Let's do it. So we hop out of the blind and we're walking the road and we hear one calling from just like over the canyon. And so we we walk over to it and I get a set up and the turkey shows up, sticks his head up like turkey do and saw something that I didn't like and it never came into shotgun range. Hmm. And so we go around the corner and little did I know the turkey basically went around that corner to where he couldn't see us anymore and just stayed there. And since G is so tall, he saw it way before I did and kind of like grabbed me and <laughs> just shot. And I was like, I had no idea what was going on because I couldn't see anything. And he, after he shot, he was shaking like a little kid. And I remember the first time I shot a turkey. I was, I did the exact same thing. I was buck fever or whatever it was. And that just like made me the happiest person ever. I think I called everybody in my contact list that day, <laughs> telling them about the story. And Big G called all of his family members in Montenegro and called all of his teammates, called his coach and uh, actually called Mike, Lydia's dad. And was like, thank you so much. And he was, he, he lit up like a, a kid and I had never seen a seven foot tall grown man look so like, like a little kid. Just imagine it. <laughs> um, so that's a great story for, and I wasn't even hunting. That, and that was one of like the most memorable things I've, I've experienced out in the woods. Man, that is a great story. And what I love about that story is, well, two things. One that uh, you got somebody out in the woods there for the first time. But so frequently when people think about hunting, they distill it down into that one second where you're pulling the trigger and something dies. But that's, again, like 1% of what hunting is. And there's so much to it. There's so much that people love about it besides that. And the fact that your favorite hunting story has you know, nothing to do with you being the hunter and everything to do with this other person's experience speaks volumes about you, but also speaks volumes about this, um, this way of life, this tradition, however you want to categorize hunting for you. Um, it, it says a lot about what hunting is really all about. Yeah. If I could, uh, if I could relive that every day, I would. So that's, uh, maybe, uh, maybe it's a little selfish, the the part of me wanting to be a mentor all the time because i i love that that feeling of just seeing people get that adrenaline rush and the, their first experience at hunting and it's it's something that i look forward to when i take new hunters out um and i can't wait to see how many or the hunters that i take out in the future because of hunters of color i love it man such a great story. Thank you for sharing that. I am not going to let you off the hook, though. I do have some random questions for you if you're ready. Fire away. I'm I'm still a little salty that you went in and uh, prepared for this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get past it. We'll move on. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> okay, so I think I know the answer to this first one just because of something you said earlier. But would you rather fight? 
a hundred duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Man, I think I would I would take on the the small small door. Uh, wait, no, small horses. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it depends. I don't know. Ducks can uh, ducks can be pretty vicious. I have chickens, so they're not too distantly related. Let's see. Okay, would you rather have a Slurpee or a milkshake? Milkshake. What's the least amount of money you'd pick up? A, a penny. Nice. Me too. Yeah. Uh, wine or beer? Uh, oof. That's a hard one. It depends on the, the temperature. depends on uh, the food. Um, with the tiki masala, I would have a beer. Um, if it, or maybe some white wine. The thing is, I, I lucked out growing up in where I live currently. So we, I live, I grew up in wine country. Um, both my parents were in the wine industry. And then now I live in the heart of the one or the heart of Oregon's wine country. And we have amazing wine here, but we also have really good beer. So I think it all, it's all up in the air. It depends on the meal. If you gave, tell Give me a meal and I'll, I'll let you know. Oh, a, uh, a ribeye and a baked potato. Wine. Okay. What's your most used emoji? Oh, let me check. Yes. I love it. I love that everybody pulls out their phone to check this. It makes me so happy. Uh, it's the, the hysteric laughing face. <laughs> that's that's mine it just it applies to so many things <laughs> yeah i'm uh definitely a light-spirited person and i like to laugh um so i encourage people to send me funny memes um good good stuff good content <laughs> yeah for sure uh what is something new you want to try Ooh. Well, I want to fill my elk tag for the first time after four years of trying. <laughs> um, but something new? Um, I think I'd have to relate this to hunting somehow. Um, Whatever. I, I want to learn. Um, oh, shoot. What was that I saw the other day? Oh, rock climbing. I want to learn how to rock climb. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah. See, I have a, I have an issue where the second I find something that's fun, I kind of dive all into it. Mm. And so I have way too many hobbies and Lydia gets mad at me because I have all of my hobby stuff, like all my gear spread out everywhere. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just, I look at it every day like, oh, I could use that tomorrow or, hey, I could use this today. And yeah, I'm always itching to get outside. Um, I think one thing that I'd love to try the next time I go to Hawaii, I tried it a little bit this last summer when I was there. Uh, actually, not this last summer, but the, the previous summer, pre-COVID. Um, I tried spearfishing with a Hawaiian sling, but I think eventually I'd like to to get out and um, try like actually diving deep with uh, 
with all the gear and have a spear gun and all that stuff and try to do a kind of underwater hunting dude that would be badass okay uh waffles or pancakes it depends i've had some if it's like the best pancake i've ever had versus the best waffle i've ever had i'd go with a waffle Mm, okay mcdonald's or wendy's uh mcdonald's you can have one person back you up in a bar fight who are you picking wait wait wait. reverse reverse oh wait what you said wendy's or mcdonald's my answer is in and out oh you're going off script i i you know i would pick in and out too that's a good (laughs) i'm born and raised in california we can't can't uh verge from the original good burger it's pretty true that is sacred out there yeah anybody in texas right now is probably cringing because apparently there's a our friend that we were just having dinner with who's from texas said um like a roadhouse burger or something like that i forget what it's called um but she was like it's way better than in and out so i guess when i go to texas for the first time i'll have to to get one and compare do a little comparison you'll have to let me know what you decide yeah uh bar fight who's backing you up in a bar fight oh big g big g <laughs> yes <laughs> he owes you one yeah or my dad my dad tells stories of all the bar fights he got in while he was in the military so oh no doubt no yeah. doubt uh what's one book everyone should read You know, the the Hunger Games uh, book, I loved that seek or that trilogy mm-hmm. uh, just because the archery aspect to it. Oh, yeah. And the description of the scenes when she she takes aim and lets the arrow fly. I, I could I could vividly imagine those those scenes. Um, so that's. I think that's one of my favorite books. Um, definitely, I definitely like fiction. Um, and then if you're on the engineering side, if you like good reads, uh, I've been reading Artemis. Um, so by the, it's by Andy Weir. Um, it's the same guy who wrote uh, like The Martian and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. I'll add those to the book list, uh, the ever-growing book list. Oh yeah. Uh, the, if you do, if you haven't read hunger games, uh, it's a really easy read. I think I've read all three within a week. Uh, it's kind of hard to put down just because of, I don't know, it, maybe it was the writing style that I really liked, but I just couldn't put it down. So when you said the hunger games, the first thing that popped in my mind, right at the beginning of COVID, uh, we decided that it would be a really good idea to binge kind of apocalyptic type movies. So we watched all the Hunger Games. We watched a couple other ones, kind of like End of the World, like post, you know, meltdown of society type stuff. And then it got a little too real. And we were like, no, no more. We we can't do this anymore. Yeah, we did the same thing. We watched um, Contagion and... Uh, I think it's called pandemic or one of those, but we're like, yeah, you know, let's stop doing these. Cause <laughs> we don't know where this is going. It's hitting a little too close to home. Yeah. Yeah.
Okay, last random question for you. What is the most played song in your rotation right now? Uh, let's pull up. Um, let's pull up Spotify. Oh, that's another question I should add. Are you an Apple Music person or Spotify? Or I think I'm gonna add that because people are pretty entrenched in one camp or another. Oh uh, well, my most listened to is Fleetwood Mac. Um, but that was before the, the whole, what's his name? Um, dog face on a skateboard and the, what's the juice that he, ocean spray, cranberry juice. Oh yeah. So I'm a, I'm a real fan. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I, I, I found, I have so many songs I listen to and my, I think Spotify hates me because it doesn't know what to recommend to me. I have like I have like bluegrass. I've got like rap. I've got soul. Um, I've got country, and I've just got all this random stuff in here. Um, Fleetwood Mac is but, a really good answer because that is my all-time favorite band for sure. Yeah, yeah. I guess I think I have been listening to a ton of J Cole lately though too. Mm, J Cole solid. Those are both solid yeah. answers acceptable and yeah and some mariachi <laughs> nice makes me feel like makes me feel like i'm at home yeah um i shoot what was that man i'm sorry i can't remember what the group was but when i was a freshman in college and i was taking my um, freshman language courses our teacher recommended this group from puerto rico and they were just amazing and it really got me into um latin music and i don't listen to it as much as i wish i did but it, there's such amazing amazing music yeah just love it yeah makes you makes you want to dance when i whenever i put on a put some uh salsa music on at work everybody makes fun of me because i'm just sitting there just moving around and <laughs> just loving the the music I dig it, man. Absolutely. Well, shoot. This was a great conversation, Jimmy. I really appreciate you coming on, taking the time out of a busy week out of an evening when you could be out hunting. So thank you for uh, making the time. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Look forward Um, to uh, doing this in the future again, when we start, start getting bigger and we could do like a, maybe like a status report. Yeah, I would love to do that. My platform is always open to you. Anytime we can help raise awareness around the work that you're trying to do, let me know and I am here for it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, So I will make sure that people know how to connect you down in the show notes. Um, If people want to uh, connect with you is the best way through Instagram at Hunters of Color. Yeah, that's the the most direct. um, I check that regularly and then I also check my emails uh, once a day. So um, those two methods are are probably the, the quickest way to get a hold of either me or Lydia or Lydia or I. And, um, and yeah, we, we're pretty good about responding. Sometimes we get backlogged with stuff that we we're trying to catch up on. But um, I think as we grow, we'll, we'll be a lot better. And, uh, 
a lot quicker at responding. Also, like we're we're so young in this this development stage that I kind of feel bad because a lot of people are reaching out and are in need of mentors. Um, and people have been reaching out and want to be a men- mentor, and uh, it's it, I feel bad that we're not on the ball quick enough and I promise that we will get there and we'll get people out and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome when when this all starts coming together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, if there's ever anything I can do to help, let me know. Um, I'd love to connect you with folks and we can, we'll, uh, we'll get you connected with some uh, people that can fill in gaps and resources and whatnot. So let's talk offline. Perfect. Cool. Uh, final question for you. Uh, what does it mean to you to live an authentic life, Jimmy? Uh, I think I'm, I think I'm working towards that right now. Um, but just be yourself. Um, I have this analogy that I've used for, I developed in like, uh, one of the roughest portions of my life. Um, and I may have stolen it or like taken it from a few other people or made it my own. But the way I see your happiness is like a cup. And so if you imagine like a, like a solo cup or like a just plastic cup, um, if you imagine your happiness is the level of that cup and it can only, your happiness is dictated on how full your cup is. So if you're hundred percent happy, um, you your cups overflowing um and along the road in life you get holes poked into your cup and your cup can only be as high as that lowest hole Mm. and so if you patch up those holes little by little you'll, you'll see your happiness keep climbing and i think to me living authentically is living with your cup full and and you'll you'll be making other people's lives better by being a full person and you'll have the time to help other people fill their cup um, because yours is full and you're not focusing on filling it up yourself if that makes any sense absolutely and and that's the the perfect note to end on thank you for sharing that and i just appreciate you and everything that you're trying to do so thank you um this has been a great conversation thank you everyone who uh, tuned in to listen thank you for keeping us company and we'll catch you on the next one